Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Michael Reed on LMFM. Wednesday morning, the 12th of December. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Uncertainty reigns as a division amongst politicians in the UK has led to 48 Tory MPs writing to the 1922 Conservative Party Committee forcing a vote of confidence in Theresa May. The Prime Minister has been speaking outside of Downing Street this morning saying she will contest that vote with everything that she has got. Saying a new Prime Minister would have to scrap or extend Article 50. That's uh, the mechanism that takes Britain out of the EU on the 29th of March, delaying, she said, or even stopping Brexit. Now, this vote is to take place almost immediately with MPs voting between 6 o'clock and 8 o'clock this evening. It's to be a secret ballot and uh, when the result will be known is unknown. But we do know that if Mrs May wins this challenge, she cannot be challenged again for at least another year. If she wins but doesn't win it convincingly, it's possible that she'll stand down and that there'll be a leadership contest and it is certain if she loses this contest uh, that uh, there will be another leader of the Conservative Party and a new British Prime Minister. We're joined by Paddy Malone who's the PRO with the Chamber of Commerce in Dundalk. Paddy, good morning to you and thanks for joining us. Chaos turns to mayhem. Yes, unfortunately. Um, it's not a pretty sight, and if the consequences weren't so serious for Ireland, I wouldn't say laughable, but you could sit back and with a sense of, ble- a sense of a smile and watch it. But this is a very serious situation for Ireland. We need stability within Europe. We need to know exactly what the terms and conditions we'll be trading with Britain uh, will be in the next five years. Uh, businesses are already worried in the dock and along, uh, basically on the island, but particularly in the dock what happens on the 29th of March or rather the 30th of March next year, we just don't know. And the very fact that the Taoiseach has indicated that maybe preparations for a harder border now have to start in earnest is the first signs really that um, governments, while they've been saying they haven't been planning for a hard border, they have been, and we're now going to see the consequences of that. Well, the next thing, surely, that has to happen is uh, to delay this process if it is to happen at all, because if there's to be a new leader of the Conservative Party, and that's very much a reality this morning, that party is not going to be in position, let alone in position to unite MPs by the 21st of January. Yeah, well, two things. First of all, uh, I remember Charlie McCreevy saying that the incumbent is an awful lot stronger than you than you realise when you're uh, when you're uh, campaigning against him, uh, and you know several pushes against Charles Hawley in the 1980s proved that point. Uh, that the leader can ve- very often, with patronage and everything else, decide when he or she is going. But even allowing for that, it's the fact that no consensus has uh, has come out of Britain in the last. OK, they voted two and a half years ago, but it's even long before that. No consensus of what exactly they want has ever come through. 
the number, I mean, one of the Conservative supporters of May said it and was fairly accurate that over and over again statements have been made by the Brexiteers, including Rhys Moggs and Boris mm-hmm. Johnson and all mm-hmm. the rest, that were proved subsequently to be inaccurate and untrue. Uh, the latest Maybe so, know, but tomorrow we could be talking about Prime Minister Johnson or Prime Minister Rhys Mogg. If you wanted my money, it would be Owen Patterson, uh, surprisingly enough. Um, I think the man has stayed quiet, but at the background, he his background within Northern Ireland mm. means that he understands the, break, uh, the backstop. Unfortunately, I don't understand, given the fact that he knows how sensitive the, air, the issue is, that he isn't showing more sensitivity towards it, but that's it. Yeah. Mm. Well, here we are having this conversation, and the position isn't vacant. But it's a conversation that people are having probably around the world at the moment. And the reality is, is that Mrs. May is facing an uphill battle. I think there'll be much surprise if she survives this challenge. Well, I think if you get to forty-eight, they've just got to. Uh, maybe they've got to forty-nine or fifty, but they've got to forty-eight last night. They've another hundred and ten to go before they win. Uh, and if the 48 took that long to get, uh, it's going to be a very uh, difficult for them mm. to get to the I'm rest I'm not sure of the that it did take that long to get them, though. I mean, there has been this issue uh, that uh, they uh, could have decided, but decided not to detonate uh, their call for a vote of confidence until the timing was right. Uh, and the timing would seem perfect for those who wish uh, to dislodge Mrs. May. Yeah, well, I mean, well, then you're asking yourself, is the, is the primary object of this to dislodge uh, Mrs. May and create a vacancy, or is it to change the course of the Brexit negotiations? If it's the latter, well, both. It, well I, would, I, I would question that. I would think that if they really wanted to change, uh, change course, it is far too late uh, to change course now with, with changing leader. Um, the only thing they could hope would be to put more pressure on her to, to, to see if they can get... Um, protocols or something else attached to the agreement or something on the on the, on the future trading Martin, uh, No, I mean it is too late under Mrs May's leadership, uh, but changing the leadership will buy them some time Well, they have to go and ask all 27 countries, yeah. can we delay mm-hmm. the 29th of yeah, March? Well, we don't have a Prime Minister what are the 27 countries going to do? Are they going to be seen to be unreasonable? Uh, well, you're, you're then looking at concessions you're looking at the Spanish saying well, yeah, we'll do that, yeah. provided something else is agreed on Gibraltar. Mm. Or some of the countries in Eastern Europe saying, yes, provided there's better free movement of people. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the problem is we are in total speculation land. And, mm. you know, my perspective is, from a business point of view, I want stability. I want to know where we stand. I, my okay, members want to know how we're going to deal with the Worst case, case scenario, moment. let's say you're not going to find out where you stand uh, because we have to go through a leadership contest in uh, the United Kingdom until at least uh, that concludes uh, and uh, that this will not be decided by the 21st of January or the 29th of March and that this rumbles on and uh, that we'll have a new Prime Minister trying to take uh, Britain in a different direction uh, and ongoing protruded negotiations. What will that do for uncertainty and your business? You know, the problem is that businesses are trying to plan into the future and trying to predict what's going to happen. And what we're finding is now is that um, the best advice that Intertrade, well, not much Intertrade, but the best advice that the Lazio and the other organisations are is look at finding alternatives, uh, business business to do uh, rather than in the UK. So, in other words, people who have got supply chains and are buying from the UK, 
we're now saying to them, look, maybe you should be thinking about buying from France or looking elsewhere or even looking internally within Ireland, but look for a second best alternative to what you have at the moment. Similarly, with, 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 with people who are exporting into the UK, we're saying find an alternative market. Now, that's a lot harder than it sounds. Mm. Uh, there have been a number of successes. The cheese board, incredible. I mean, they've actually found a market for Irish cheddar. And, you know, a year ago, people said you couldn't sell cheddar anywhere except into Britain. Well, apparently, the Saudis and the Japanese love the stuff. Uh, but they're one-offs. The problem we have in this country is that the UK will suffer, it's, uh, and suffer badly, but based on all re- economic statistics, including the Bank of England's reports. Every single one of them says it's negative. But the problem is, they, if the UK get a cold, we get pneumonia, and we're stuck right up against them in the border. It's retail, mm. it's education, it's tourism, it's manufacturing, it's transport. It just The list just keeps going on. Every time I look at the Brexit issue for, from a dark perspective, mm. and that's my interest, uh, there's another layer of a problem. It's like peeling an onion. You never get to the end of the thing. Okay, and, and for people just joining us, it has become all the more crucial of an issue this morning because of a confidence vote in Mrs May as leader of uh, the Conservative Party. That will take place between 6 o'clock and 8 o'clock this evening. Do you agree, Paddy Malone, that the worst possible outcome from that vote is that she wins by a small margin, feels that her authority has been usurped and needs to step down? No, funnily enough, I think she's the best of a bad lot. And but if she has it. to step down, if she steps down... If she gets 159, she stays. And that woman is showing the same tenacity that leaders like Hahi, and I would look at him for primarily... Well, I was going to ask you <laughs> I was going to ask you if that would be the second worst option if she got that very small majority and stayed. I think, she, I think if she gets 159 to 157, she'll say, I have my majority, I'm going on ahead. Okay, but um, but with such a slim majority, if she was to step down, uh, would that be the worst case scenario? And with yeah, such a, a slim majority, if she was to stay on, would that be the second worst scenario? The, the problem you have with she, if she steps down, having won a, sli- a slim majority, is that whoever then comes on knows that they haven't got a mis- support of the majority of the party. Um, that's, they, she is a, they are a second best alternative at, be- at best. You're looking at Boris Johnson, Rhys Mogg, and other, mm. tearing, the, tearing the Conservative Party apart. And normally in an election like that, it's not the front runner on the day that the election is called that wins. It's somebody else coming up on the inside. No one saw Maya coming uh, when Cameron was stepped aside initially, and yet she was there because she was the least worst alternative uh, to anything else. And the same situation is going to arise this time. People like Rhys Moggs and, and, and Boris Johnson are cutting themselves if they think that they can do it because there's too many people diametrically opposed to them in their way of going on and in their beliefs that they, it just simply would be untenable for them. So it needs a moderate voice somewhere in the middle. And the problem is this election, this whole process has galvanized and split mm. the Conservative Party like nothing else has for you know decades, I think. You're going back to the home rule movement in the, in the 1880s to find something that was as dramatic. Okay. Um, well, if she loses the vote, undoubtedly the Conservative Party, the United Kingdom, and indeed the European Union is thrown into disarray uh, as a, a result of uh, the absolutely. vacuum that is caused in terms of the Brexit negotiations. If she wins, albeit by a small majority or a huge majority, can she bring about certainty? Because she can't, as I said at the outset, be challenged then for another 12 months. Well, at least she would then have, if, the, if they, those that are beaten, how, uh, would then have, if they have enough common sense to shut up 
and let her get on with the job that she's doing, uh, there might be some element of stability within the Conservative Party. That in itself might give her more freedom to actually show some leadership, uh, knowing that she, can, she can't be challenged by the Brexiteers. That would be some hope. And I think there's a possibility that that actually would be the outcome. Then in that case, the only thing she faces is Corbyn. And she, if, if that happens, she then can be in a position to shine the light on Corbyn and show that the man is even more unsure of where he is compared to her. I mean, the only difference between the two of them, as far as I can see, is he doesn't have to make him hard decisions. He can mouth off about the, six, the, the, the list of six things, which are un, untenable and, mm. and, and unrealistic. Uh, but it sounds good. Um, yeah. Well, and 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 maybe maybe just the, the shift, the light will shift to him. Uh, well, maybe he, may, he maybe he's not doing all wrong because he's come from rock bottom to being a contender. Uh, he's been criticised in the course of uh, the last week for not moving uh, a motion of confidence in the prime minister, uh, but he's stepped back and allowed the Conservatives to do it for him. I would, I would agree 100% with you, but isn't it an awful indictment of British politics that that's the best they can do? Well, <laughs> be that as it may, this is where we are, uh, and you talk about sneezing and colds, uh, we're going to end up with pneumonia, as you said. Correct. We are really are. I mean, you know, those of us that live in, in, in County Lurgan, particularly those that live closer and closer to the border, so the dog knows it better than any on Letterkenny, we all understand what the problems are. We know that we know what the North's going to be like. Sterling is going to drop in value. There's going to come pressure on the retail sector immediately in the town. I mean, you know, if you you couldn't have thought of worse news for the, the town of Dundalk at this time of the year than this. It's How quickly just, could it be turned around, though? Because we heard Theresa May speak in the Commons this week about how it would be impossible to preserve the Union if there was to be a hard border on this island, highlighting how that could result in a united Ireland. Now, we spoke about that on the programme yesterday with Matt Carthy and Declan Brannock, both of whom seemed to agree with Mrs May, but didn't welcome the prospect of it happening under such circumstances? Well, look, uh, I think any decent Irishman who grew up in the South wants a United Ireland. Um, I, I mean, I've, worked, I've wanted it all my life. I've, I've been involved in politics in the North uh, most of my life, most of the most uh, under the radar, but I've been up at SDLP, Alliance Party conferences and everything else. If we're talking about United Ireland, it's not by force or by economic necessity. It's because we've actually convinced the unionist majority to actually t- stop and think where are their best, best interests. And hopefully they will realise now that Conservative Party, particularly with the Tory backbenchers, they will play the unionist card as uh, Lord Churchill put it in the 1880s. They will play the unionist card if it's to their advantage. If it's not, they'll be discarded in five minutes. Um, and the sooner Arlene Foster realises that long term the union the unionist position in the, is better off coming to a much better understanding with the South, um, you know, and the ideas of Articles Two and Three they're gone. The Good Friday Agreement is the way forward. Um, it was well crafted, um, and Bertie Ahern and, and uh, Tony Blair deserve huge credit for twenty five years on. Not alone is it the best deal. It, there's nothing that could actually beat us from the point of view of giving stability to the, to the island. Um, 
But that's what we need, mm. stability on the island. And, and this uh, uncertainty is exactly the worst thing for business. Uh, and, 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 and for uh, people uh, in general. It's terribly uncertain. Uh, I don't think anybody could uh, claim to predict what's going to happen in the next 24 hours, let alone beyond that. Uh, but here we are on Wednesday morning. Uh, what uh, is your sense of things? Uh, what do you think we'll be considering over the weekend, let's say? I think we'll be looking at May still being the Prime Minister, and I think we will be looking at the Brexiteers hopefully shutting up and allowing her to get on with the job. Um, and I think you're then looking at the 27 countries trying to show as much flexibility as they can without compromising on the principles uh, which drove the agreement in the first place. I think that's, that's all the best you can hope for. All right, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you very much indeed for joining us today. Paddy Malone, PRO with Dundalk's Chamber of Commerce. Now, France remains on high alert as a police hunt for a gunman who opened fire at a Christmas market in Strasbourg. Karen Coleman is an Irish journalist working in Strasbourg. She's the editor with Europarl Radio and on the line with us. Good morning to you, Karen, and thanks for joining us. I understand you were at that market yourself and caught up in the middle of all of this. Yes, good morning, Michael. Um, As it happened, um, a colleague and I had just been strolling through the stalls, the Christmas stalls, near where the market, near where the shooting, excuse me, took place just about half an hour before it happened. And then we went to a restaurant just round the corner. um, And apparently around 8pm last night, the gunman opened fire on people who were around that Christmas market. And the first... We heard of it was probably around 20 past eight and the manager of the restaurant where we were in, which is just literally around the corner from where this happened, came over to us and he said, there's been a terrorism incident and it's it's happening around here. We're going to lock the doors. You can't leave the restaurant and we'll just have to wait and see what happened. And then a little bit later, he closed the blinds, he dimmed the lights, he locked the doors. He asked those of, 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 of the restaurant people who were sitting by the window near the street to come away from the window and we all sort of moved to a safer part of the restaurant where we were further away from the window and we had to stay there for a couple of hours. We started trying to figure out what was going on and people were going on Twitter to try and see what exactly had happened and then as the night wore on we started to get you know a little bit more of information that a gunman had opened fire and there was some dead and as you say this morning reports are more clear three people reportedly dead around 12 injured and apparently this gunman is still on the loose now you know this is a moving story so things may have changed but i gather hundreds of french security forces are trying to find him somewhere in the city reports say he has been injured um again difficult to get confirmation of those facts you must be very shaken yourself uh, you don't sound so uh, do you think it's sunk in yet well, I don't know. I mean, I spent three years in the Balkans um, in, in the 1990s and I've been in a few scrapes in the Middle East and that. And I suppose, you know, in the restaurant last night, everybody was very calm. Um, and, you know, you just think, well, I, I mean, I certainly what was running through my mind was the fact that, you know, during the Paris attacks, the shooters shot people in restaurants and in very vulnerable situations. And I suppose you know, I was thinking, well, if a shooter really wanted to get in here, he could just come and spray the window with gunfire. Um, But you hope that that's not happening. And 
everybody. It was remarkable. Everybody remained calm. Some One of the people in the restaurant seemed to have got hold of a video that obviously must have been put out on social media. You know, people were screaming in the video. So I think that probably reflected the terror that was happening on the street just around the corner. Um, and, and I gather from some eyewitness reports, it was incredibly scary, as you can mm. imagine. And I think but a lot of people I listening was, to you, Karen, would think, well, I wouldn't be calm. Uh, and it's one thing, somebody like yourself, uh, who's been in war-torn areas uh, and uh, experienced uh, as a journalist in terms of coping with those situations. But why do you think it, it is uh, that people remained calm in the restaurant? Is there something instinctive in you, do you think, that takes over? Well, I mean, it was very interesting and there really was, I didn't sense any sign of panic. Now, maybe, you know, what was interesting is the manager and a couple of waiters who were in the restaurant were very calm. They, you know, were good humoured. They continued to serve people and take orders. I mean, seriously, when all of this was going on. Now, maybe it's an indication to, you know, are we all getting more used to these kinds of terrorist attacks? So it's one thing reading about it, it's another one kind of being close to where it's all happening. But, you know, maybe people are a little bit more used to this sort of thing. But I would imagine on the streets, and I was reading mm. some Twitter accounts of what was going on in the streets, it must have been absolutely terrifying. And when I had been, I had just been walking with my colleague, York just around those very stalls where this guy opened fire just about half an hour before he did so. And I was saying to Georg, gosh, you know, there's a nicer, less tense, atmosphere this time around than there would have been in previous years. This Strasbourg Christmas market is very, very famous and thousands of people will come there every year. But in previous years, there would have been soldiers, a lot higher presence of soldiers walking around those stalls. And I certainly didn't notice them last night. Okay, well, plenty of uh, security on the streets uh, today as uh, the hunt goes on uh, for the man behind uh, these attacks. Some of uh, those who have been injured are said to be seriously injured. Uh, We're glad to to speak to you and hear that you're okay and uh, to hear of your experience as well. And thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Karen Coleman, Irish journalist and editor with Europarl Radio, speaking to us from Strasbourg there. Now, Wednesday morning, which means uh, the local newspapers are in your shops, and Marie Kearns is here to tell us what's on the front pages. Uh, a busy week in the papers, I take yes, it. Yes, lots of reading, and we'll kick off with the Meads Chronicle. And it's a good news story on the front page of the Chronicle this week, as the, repap- as the paper reports a crime in the Royal County is down by 12%. There's even more good news with the revelation that an extra five Gardaí will be located to Meath in January boosting the overall number of Gardaí in the county to 323. The significant drop in crime figures was attributed to proactive policing by Chief Superintendent Fergus Healy, who pledged that this would continue into the new year, Michael. Very good. Good news, as you say. Let's go to Argus, uh, and uh, to Dundalk, rather, and uh, the Argus, which yes. is looking at burglaries locally. Yes, not such good news mm. there. Um, Dundalk is hit by a rash of break-ins, is the lead story of the Argus and it refers to a spate of burglaries that have been reported in the Dundalk area over the last few days. 
prompting Gardaí to issue French fresh warnings after burglars targeted homes and cars. In one incident, Michael, a woman was terrified to discover a burglar in her kitchen just after midnight on Saturday and thankfully he fled the scene with scary stuff altogether. A fantastic picture I have to mention on page one of the Argus of five generations of the one family to mark the 100th birthday of local lady Annie Bishop this week. All right, uh, the leader then in Dundalk uh, leads with sport. That's right, a sporting success is making the front page of the Dundalk leader perfect Christmas gift for Islanders is the seasonal headline and it refers of course to the Dundalk Young Irelands who made history on Saturday according to the paper by becoming the first loud team to win a Leinster Junior final. So lots of that in the paper today. A very different story then on the front of uh, the Democrat, a frightening story actually. Yes, yeah. Mum mm. kidnapped and tortured is the lead story and that's about the Dundalk mother in her 40s who was rushed to hospital with a serious eye injury after she was allegedly kidnapped and subjected to a brutal beating last Wednesday. Inside the Democrat, it's a, a, a bit of a good news story um, for the Dundalk Men's Shed Creative Writing Group who are making news, Michael, after launching a collection of the work entitled Tall Tales and Short Stories. The book is the first of its kind by the Irish Men's Shed, which is fitting as Dundalk was one of the first sheds to be established in the country. So well done to them. Well done indeed. Petrol bombs are the consequence of uh, those petrol bombs in Drogheda makes for the front lead of uh, the Independent. That's right. Pair left homeless after bombing is what the Drogheda Independent is leading with. And this is about a couple who had to flee their rented home in Riverbank after the petrol bomb was thrown through the front window of their living room while they slept upstairs. The couple had only moved into the house, the paper reports, on November 20th and were not the intended targets. In today's paper also, the heartbroken family of the late Cameron Riley, who was murdered in Dunleer last May, have thanked everyone for their incredible support, Michael, as they prepare to hold a remembrance mass on Saturday to mark his 19th birthday on December 18th and it's a beautiful tribute featuring special family memories of Cameron written by the paper's editor Hubert Murphy Lovely Alright we'll leave it there and uh, thanks for that maybe people want to make comment on those stories uh, a lot of interesting stories in the local papers uh, this week if you do want to make comment on them Marie will be back in a couple of minutes time to tell us what people are saying on the phones so uh, make comment on them something else you've been hearing or if there's an issue that you'd like to raise with us you can ring Marie or Maggie now on 1850 715 The Michael Reed Show on LMFM. Brought to you by Airgrid. Visit our new office at the Avenue, RD Road, Carter Cross. McGarry Tiles and Bathrooms, Kells Road, Navin. Experts in bathroom renovation from design to completion. Call into our state-of-the-art showroom showcasing over 60 fully completed bathroom and tile settings. McGarry Tiles and Bathrooms, Kells Road, Navin. Visit McGarryTiles.ie. Covering Maids, Dublin, Loud and Cavan. Christmas is the one time of year that we focus on the important things in life. Family, friends, get-togethers, gifts and more. And, as you know, with all of these, they all come at a price. To help ease the financial burden so that you and your family can celebrate and enjoy. Call in and talk to one of our team today. Drogheda Credit Union, with offices on Lawrence Street, Betty's Town Town Centre, Market Street Trim and RD Road Dunlear. Drogheda CU is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Terms and conditions apply. Networksecurity.ie. We are 
are 100% Irish owned with 21 years experience providing monitored security and safety to our customers with built-in cameras and always on smoke alarms providing a visual verification to our command centre and to Gardaí and emergency services and sent straight to your phone alarms from €399 for a free home consultation 9am to 9pm call to networksecurity.ie at 18 Park Street Dundalk or call 042-932-7460 let network security put your home in your hands Claire, Claire, slow down where are you off to? Oh, Anne, I can't stop. I have so much to do for Christmas. I have to get toys for the kids in Ballytown. Then it's to Castleborough for the Christmas turkey. Thanks for the house in Dunroman. And then for Kilford to get gifts for the in-laws. Where does it all end? Relax, relax, relax. There's nothing you can't get in Baileyborough. And all stress-free. You'll get a welcome in every shop and the help you need to get what you need this Christmas. All in one place, all in Baileyborough. Sponsored by Clarks of Baileyborough. ClarksAlbany.ie the Michael Reed Show on LMFM. Brought to you by Airgrid. Visit our new office at the Avenue, RD Road, Carter Cross. Call Michael now, 1850-715-958. Is there anything worse than politicians capitalising politically on a popular issue? Maybe it's worse when politicians capitalise politically on a popular issue without standing back and asking what's at work, what is important in all of this. And on that note, uh, we'll talk uh, to Imelda Munster, who raised uh, the name of Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital uh, in Drogheda with uh, the Taoiseach yesterday and went to the bother of issuing a press release to say that she did so and joins us now. Uh, I don't think uh, you mentioned uh, that uh, the Taoiseach responded to you basically saying uh, it had nothing to do with him, uh, but he was also responding to Declan Brannock and Peter Fitzpatrick. Well, firstly, um, Mike, I raised it under um, the or- or order of business and um, I had indicated that I wanted to come in on, you know, promise ledge order of business. Mm. And the other two deputies then, when I had raised the issue first, they said, could they come? Yeah. They asked so the three of you raised it with Leo Bradford yes. anyway. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, all all of you said, taking this populist position anyway. And the Taoiseach said, well, well actually, it, no, it's, not, not, it's not an issue no. for the government. Uh, but yeah, no, sure, consult no, with no, people. No, That's no, what he hold said. Hold on a second. Yeah. Hold on a second. Yeah. I'm, I'm Drahada born and bred. And oh, Our Lady no. of Lords mm. is synonymous with Drahada. And the people are absolutely outraged. Right. So, so, so this is actually, and I, I've ever. That's my job. Yeah. Please, and bring it. So, so, so this is an issue of the town rallying together as a community to stand up for Drogheda, Is it? This is an issue where the decision was taken by um, the general manager. Yeah, in, but the response is the town Lord rallying James together as a community without consultation. Is it an issue of the town responding by coming together as a community to stand up for Drogheda? Well, the, the, ta- the, the because Our Lady of Lords means so much to, to the people of Drogheda yes. and the fact that the people of Drogheda funded the build of it, mm. you know. And did you do anything other than? And did you do anything other than look at Facebook or, or listen to the people who were vocal about this? Well, oh yes, I wrote to the the general manager. I did you Did you speak to, to Arthur the, Morgan? I, no, I didn't. No, well, maybe, you, maybe, Morgan. maybe you, maybe you'd have been well advised to speak to Arthur Morgan or Mary Grehan, rest her, uh, if she'd been alive, uh, because people remember that they were the two politicians uh, who 
highlighted how the town rallied together and castigated patients who made allegations of wrongdoing against Michael Neary. They were the two politicians who came together uh, and highlighted how the town rallied together and castigated patients who made allegations of wrongdoing against Michael Shine, or how the town rallied together and castigated patients who made allegations of wrongdoing against Gerard Connolly. Well, this is an issue, firstly, about the, the, the naming of the hospital. Oh, I know. Did that's you talk, to, it, did you talk to the women who asked for the pictures of the nuns and the doctors in the hospital to be taken down because of how it hurt them uh, and caused them so much pain every time that they had to go into that hospital? No, well, the point, the point being is, as I tried to, to say now several times, that what's annoyed people is, firstly, that the decision was taken unilaterally. But secondly, um, if 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 the idea is, and that's what it should be, and that's why I raised it with the, the Taoiseach, that it should be put out. The people should be allowed to have their say that one person shouldn't decide from behind a desk whether or not to change the name of our, our local hospital. Well, isn't that it amazing how out. the town... But you see, we don't... We, we haven't had public consultation. But isn't it... Well, so we well, don't know what... The, well, you haven't consulted with the women who've been involved in this, let alone those who... No, but uh, if there is... Uh, ...who I've advocated for, for them. Well, hold you're, on. You're, you're, talking about the ta- you're talking about if, a town that rallied together uh, and castigated people who made allegations of wrongdoing that were upheld. Now the town is rallying together to adorn Mother Mary Martin and her band of medical missionaries forgetting what their Catholic ethos did, how they destroyed the lives of women in the name of God, how they destroyed women in the name of Our Lady of Lourdes. There's, there's, you know, there's, there were serious issues at that time and there were... Oh, at that time. At that time. I know you're too young. That's why I said, that's why no, no. I said to you to speak to Arthur Morgan. I know no, no. you're too young to no. national no. politics Hold on a second. to remember. That there wasn't wrongdoing. Of course not. Of, of course, course there was. Perfectly was healthy women went yeah. into that hospital exactly. to have their babies. And what happened? Their pelvis was broken exactly. in the name of Our Lady of Lourdes. Exactly. Women who but had no, to learn no, how sorry, to walk sorry, again sorry. in the name of Our Lady sorry. of Lourdes. Sorry, that w- there was nothing to do with the name over the door of the It hospital. was done in the Catholic and ethos. If, if, if Inform you let, yourself. If you let me finish a sentence, if you're Weetabix in you this morning, Mike, if you let me finish a sentence... If, as I have called for it, that it goes out to public consultation, then everybody, everybody will be able, will be consulted on Oh, I don't think and so. And will be able oh, to I don't make submission. So. And those I don't people think so. who are I don't for think and so. against... Those people will remember how the tally, town will, rallied against them before. They, well, they would be entitled if they feel as strongly... Uh, as you're saying they do and if they do well, why didn't you ask them? why didn't that? you ask the people who, who went I'm, into that hospital to have babies and came out unable to know if they could go to the toilet again or I'm not in the name of our lady of lords because i'm asking on this issue that it go out to public consultation and let the people have their say and that's all the people by committee including those to, 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 to decide by committee people have their say to decide by committee no, that, no, that's populist no, if you consult with the people... Why not, consult, why not consult with the people who were left incontinent well, for life in the name of Our Lady of Lourdes? Those people will be entitled to have their say. But you're talking about a majority or view. I or I You're talking yes. about a majority but view. All the, all you're talking about people who were unable to have well, large families, the large families that they had hoped for, but they were unable to have them in the name of Our Lady of Lourdes. Yeah, the women okay. who were left sterile in the name that's of Our Lady yeah. of Lourdes. I know, that's the women right, who faced you... early menopause in the name of Our Lady of Lourdes. Yes, that's right. The women who became disinterested in sex, lost their libido in the name of Our Lady of Lourdes, who faced a lifetime of profound pain in the name of Our Lady of Lourdes, who faced a lifetime of depression in the name of Our Lady of Lourdes, or their husbands. They suffered all of that at the hands of medical professionals. That's, That's exactly what happened. 
But the, the that's what the nun said. The, that's what the nun said. Well, that's 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 the reality. What about the their husbands who were left? That what, no, well, of speak. course that. Of course, I remember when Arthur was a, was yeah. uh, to the fore. In what the about their husbands the, who were left in the dark, not knowing that's about right. the women who had lost interest in them uh, in their family life, never told what had happened or why it happened to their wives in the name of Our Lady of Lords. Yes, it was dreadful. It was absolutely dreadful. I suppose the women were compensated, happened. weren't they? It was. It I suppose, I suppose nothing they, would compensate you for that. Oh, but there's sure, they were nothing, paid billions. No, th- there's nothing. But would sure, they were paid millions. You for a life suffering, nothing. What and did Mary? Was, what, ne- was what, never an what, issue with those women. What did Mary Mark never say about the? What did Mary Mark never say about the women who were treated that way? Look, N- nothing. What did the well, medical missionaries of Mary ever say about the women who were treated that way? Nothing. Who paid the millions to compensate the women for the lives that were destroyed? The taxpayer did. What did the what 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 did the nuns pay? They paid out huge amounts of money in big, huge checks to their big, fat lawyers to protect themselves legally against being sued by the women whose lives were destroyed and the families whose lives were destroyed in the name of Our Lady of Lourdes. No, look, the name change was taken. The decision was taken unilaterally, and. If the pu- people, the public, are allowed to have their say, then everybody, everybody gets the opportunity to have their say. Everybody and has their say. Those, everybody those had their say when women came out and made allegations against Michael Neary, against uh, Michael Shine, against Jared Connolly. Everybody had their say then, and all the women who were the victims of what happened in that hospital were disbelieved. So now you're saying, let's do it all over again. No, how quickly we forget no, no, how, how history repeats itself. No, hold on a second. There How quickly some, we forget him. There were some in the public that disbelieved, but I think the majority. Oh no! Because no. everybody knew somebody. Well, you. Everybody you knew tell somebody. the people who but felt name, castigated. But you see that that was the medical profession, and yes, the the. That's the what the nuns the time, said. Yes, when when the nuns the didn't apologise, yeah, do you know the nuns right. didn't apologise? Uh, and do you know why they didn't apologise? Because they said it was the medics. You're making their excuse for them. No, I'm the not medics, the medics, the it's believed were acting. The medics, it's believed were the medics, it's believed were acting under a Catholic ethos. No, the, medi- or the, the nuns went to ground on it too and that was shameful. It was absolutely disgraceful what happened to all of those women. In our name of it's, Our Lady of Lourdes. It's, 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 you know, never to happen again that we would hope that that sort of thing or that sort of cover-up and unaccountability. But the name of the hospital, the name of the hospital is what resonates with the people of Drogheda because yeah, yeah. all those years ago they helped to fund the build of it, collecting door-to-door weekly collections when people didn't really have a bob. And that was the connection with Our Lady of Lords. And for the management to decide unilaterally that that be changed is wrong. And the people have a right to have How do you know they're doing it? How do you know they're doing it unilaterally? Because the, the general manager yes. sent an, an internal and, uh, email and saying... Do you, not think that, do you not think that she's heard from other people? Do you not think that other people asked years ago, let's say, to have photographs taken down off the walls in the hospital because of the hurt it caused them? That the the, the, the shackles of the past uh, is a reminder of the injustice that occurred in that hospital in the name of Our Lady of Lourdes? Uh, well, I mean, I would presume that if she's going to... You presume? Think, no. You, if you didn't she, ask no, anybody? Sorry, you no, didn't no, speak to the women involved? No, because no. what I asked for was public consultation, that the people be allowed to have their That's say. That's a popular everybody, vote. No, it's not, actually. That's it's a non-informed not, popular no, vote. No, it's not, actually. It's about, it's about consulting with the people. And if the people 
are consulted and have their say, then everybody, regardless of their op- opinion or their, you know, the beliefs and those women that, you know, suffer those, that injustice would be equally entitled to have their say too. And that's what it's about. It's not about somebody behind a desk making a decision on behalf of everybody else. And I raised it with the Taoiseach because people are outraged. And the Taoiseach... Because you want to keep the name. Is, no, because you want to yes, keep the name. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And what he had said yeah. was that it, the, the change of the name didn't require government approval. You're That's working to keep the name. But he said... You're working to... You're, 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 yes, you're, yes. You're, 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 I don't believe em- that Empty, 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 empty words. Empty words. Empty words about the views... If you go into a hospital... Empty words about the views of the women who fell victim to the Catholic ethos of that hospital. Not at all. Yeah, Everybody sure will the be name. entitled to have their but say. But you didn't talk to the but women. You go but you didn't talk to the women, and, you're, and you've because made up your mind. You want to keep the, no, the name. No, 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 no. It's if you go into a hospital. Are you telling me you go into a hospital with your arm hanging off or your leg hanging off that you're going to be worried about what the name over the door is? Ask it's Arthur Morgan. Special Melda. connection. Melda, ask Arthur Morgan. No, Arthur Morgan. Uh, I, I, I remember have a when Arthur Morgan. Have, have a chat with him. Call, I call him had now. a meeting call with Arthur Morgan. Call, call him now. With the, the women, the survivors of some physiology. Yeah, give him a call. I remember yeah. all that. Yeah. But that's, but that's, you know, with this going out yeah. to public consultation, when, you, the management... Yeah, and, and the phones were ringing, and those bloody women and their symphysiotomy, those bloody women and their Michael Neary, sure, he was a great man and a great doctor and all that. Sure, we remember it all. We know how this is going yeah, to pan but out. I, yeah, but People I, forget. I mean, and this I, is history no, repeating no, itself. I think, we're, you know, most of the public at the time, there were people, there were women vocally that supported the doctors. And that's, you know, mm. to say that would be, would be telling an untruth. But most of the public were on the side. Well, of I don't know about that. The, no, I don't know because, because we sat through it. Knew what they'd gone through. All right. Yeah, no, knew what they had gone through. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I I remember hearing from quite a few people. Yeah. Quite of. Uh, and, and the, the collegiality and in the hospital and how they circle the wagons and the whole lot. Listen, okay. I have to leave it there for the moment, though. Thank you for talking it through with us. Uh, that's Sinn Féin TD for Loud the Melda Munster. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael. And I'm going to go first to the response to your last interview because the phones Mm. have literally been hopping. Uh, Lots of response. A male listener phoned in to say, Michael, you're condemning the Catholic Church. The hospital wouldn't be there in the first place without Mother Mary Martin. Um, and he's this listener feels that you're the greatest anti-Catholic or anti-Christian that I ever listened to and would we ever shut you up. Another listener, Tom from Drogheda, listening to Michael, he's going on and on and on, not giving Imelda Munster a word in Edgeways. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. He is going about on about the wrongdoing, but what about wrongdoing in all hospitals? Are all hospitals going to have their names changed? We would have no hospital only for the medical missionaries of Mary. Why should the name be changed? There is wrong going on everywhere. We see it at the moment with the scouts. I don't think you should be there at all because all you're doing is expressing your own viewpoint, claims Tom. Uh, another listener says, I wonder could I ask Mr. Reid a question? Why is he so damn ignorant against Our Lady of Lords Hospital? You're not from Drogheda. If a vote went out tomorrow, I'm sure the majority of people would accept that Our Lady of Lords Hospital should remain the name. People are fed up and sick to the teeth of you, Michael. And this comes in from Jim, who was born and reared in Drogheda. Anne says, will somebody get sedation for Michael Reed? I have just turned the radio off. Another listener says, Michael, you were so brilliant this morning. I know what the treatment was like. Thanks. Michael, what problem do you have with the Lord's Hospital? You are supposed to be neutral in a debate. You ask people on to debate something and then shut them down. Shame on you, Michael. Uh, when the Were the nuns running the hospital when the cervical cancer scandal broke? Cop on, Michael, says Jack. Another listener says, Michael, changing the name of the hospital will not, will not wipe out the history of the past. That's too easy in my book to suggest that. The important thing is to make sure that there are practices in place to ensure that repeat mistakes are not allowed to happen. The name makes no difference to me. Monica phoned in from Drogheda making a similar point she said she was listening to the radio and just had to phone in because she says she can understand the point that you're making in the sense that so many women were so badly treated in Our Lady of Lords Hospital but she's just wondering what difference will a name change make she says it won't take away what happened to all of those women, not one bit. The important thing moving forward is that what happened in the past is not allowed to happen again. And as far as she's concerned, that should be the priority. Teresa Ndok rang in and Teresa has a partner working in the hospital and was born in the hospital. And she says that listening to the interview before she heard the interview, Michael, she didn't want the name changed, but now she does because she thinks that what you were saying makes absolute sense to her, that people have a very short memory about what women went through in the hospital. And listening to the the debate, it has made her think that it is a populist thing. 
she feels that you're saying exactly what many people are thinking and you also are educating us and she wants to thank you. She feels now the sooner the name is changed, the better. Jimmy voted in and Jimmy says that there's a march taking place in Drogheda on Saturday from St Peter's Church on West Street to Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital at 3pm to protest against the name change and it will be ordinary local people making their voice heard. Okay. So well, lots. Can I, well, yes. can, can I just say uh, thanks very much to everybody who has called in because I do know it's, it's an important issue to people and I really do appreciate that and we're really glad to hear people's opinion on the programme as we always are. Uh, I won't say anything in response to any of the comments about me because I did take a position on the debate. The only thing I will say is that the position I took was representing people who don't feel in a position to speak uh, but I think that we probably heard both sides of the argument now and it's up to people to make up their own minds. That's fine, Michael. We'll move then to Brexit. That's OK. OK. Yes, because we've had some response in relation to that as well. A lot of concern out there. Declan from Drogheda says this no confidence vote he feels in Theresa May needs to happen because at least then if she wins it, she has a year to sort out what he terms as this Brexit disaster. Okay, well, <laughs> we'll probably know tomorrow. I don't I don't know when we'll know, but I, I have a feeling that we'll have a, a good idea tomorrow as to whether she's the leader. I was going to say as to what's happening, but I don't think we'll know what's happening tomorrow either. Uh, Tim from Trim, mm. who would want to step into Theresa May's shoes. Is there anyone even looking for her job? He's wondering. Mm, well, I think so. Apparently there'll be a long list of names that will put themselves forward. Seamus from Dundalk says, Michael, we are getting closer and closer to a no-deal Brexit, which is, going to, which is going to be an absolute disaster for Ireland if it comes to pass. And it will be a disaster too for the UK although sadly they don't seem to realise it. Yeah well maybe that's true maybe they'll call the whole thing off Uh, you'd need a crystal ball really wouldn't you? Yes, absolutely. From day to day, from hour to hour. Another listener phoned in, didn't want to give a name, but just wonders where, when will there be an end to all of this Brexit crap? Mm. (laughs) The UK has everyone facing uncertainty. Nobody can really plan anything. Businesses are just waiting to see what's going to happen. Part of me just wants to tell them to just go and give them nothing. But I know for Ireland's sake, it could have huge implications, particularly for the peace process if there's a hard border but I think everyone's patience is running out at this mm. stage yeah <laughs> yes we can we can we we, can, we we have sympathy with that one yeah. um, mm. when another listener Marage from Drogheda says whatever your politics you have to have admiration for Theresa May she's one tough lady I think she's the woman for the job to see uh, the UK's exit from the EU through mm. Another listener, Alan, wants to know if Theresa May loses this no confidence vote today, what is going to happen next, Mike? Well, there'll be a leadership contest. Uh, That's a certainty. Uh, Another certainty is that she won't be able to put her name forward. So it means that there will be a change in the leadership. Okay, Cathy wants to know, why is Theresa May coming to Ireland to speak to the Taoiseach? Does she want him to change his mind on the Brexit backstop? I thought that was going to be something that could not be changed. No, uh, apparently not 
Well, I don't think that's uh, the expectation, at least. I don't think anybody expects that at this stage. It's hope, uh, or the hope was, uh, that uh, there would be some statement made by the European leaders uh, which would make it seem less bad than it is to those who think it's an awful thing. But she's not coming now, as it turns out, because she's at home fighting for her life. Okay, well, we'll finish on that one, Michael. All right, thanks for that, Marie, and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. Now, let's talk about uh, the abortion uh, legislation. Uh, This is uh, the regulation of uh, termination of a pregnancy bill, which uh, passed committee stage in uh, the Shannon, and we're joined now by one of uh, the main opponents to the bill, Independent Senator Ronan Mullen, and a very good morning to you. Uh, What does this mean? Does this mean that it will be completed by Thursday? It's a, a matter of dotting the I's and crossing the T's at this stage, is it? Yes, I think so. The the committee stage ran from a quarter past, well, it started on those six hours of the debate on Monday and it started at a quarter past two yesterday and then we finished, I think, around two o'clock in the morning, Michael. So, um, yeah, I mean, the government hasn't been willing to take any of the uh, the pro-life amendments on board, uh, nor indeed the amendments that would, um, from the, those who support the abortion legislation, like uh, uh, amendments to... Um, to remove the three-day waiting period for the the Section 12 abortion, which is the abortion that can be got without giving a reason for up to 12 weeks of pregnancy. Uh, We had various other amendments down um, last night, uh, for example, amendments seeking dignified disposals of fetal remains where uh, where they would it would occur after surgical abortions uh, requiring hospitals and facilities to, to treat uh, the remains of the unborn child with dignity. Needless to say, the government weren't accepting any of that. But perhaps more interestingly, um, we had an amendment that really sought just to gather the same statistics and data about abortions as they gather in England. You know, England has a very liberal abortion regime, but they gather all sorts of information, which is very useful in terms of policy making. You know, people who make policy in public health areas mm-hmm. need information. But it's remarkable that um, uh, the, this legislation, the minister wouldn't uh, countenance even the same kind of knowledge gathering that they that they do in England. Just you know, really basic stuff like the county that the abortions are from and and the heading. Uh, it's almost as though they don't want to know. Um, because lest, lest, lest any of the information that might emerge could, could, could lead to calls for changes. And, and I, I think that would be very cynical. Um, so disappointed, but not surprised that none of our amendments got through. We had between five and nine members of the Senate voting for our, for our amendments. And there was about, I'd say, between 25 and 31 uh, voting on the government side and quite a lot of absentee. Yeah, really a, a huge majority against your argument in this in both the Shannon and the Dáil. Uh, so yeah. uh, what what do you expect to happen now? Well, look, I mean, the majority isn't surprising, and I have said this, that the, 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 the claim that there's somehow a free vote on this has no reality when you look at what's happening in practice, because clearly... Uh, um, Fianna Fáil senators have been put under and TDs have been put under huge pressure by Michal Martin and uh, and likewise with Fine Gael there's been only been one or two people who broke ranks and credit to them Paul Coughlin and John O'Mahony at Fine Gael uh, Senator Jeremy Wilson uh, uh, prominently and uh, Robbie Gallagher and uh, uh, Jerry Horkin um, and uh, in Fianna Fáil probably one or two others John mm. Freeman but what what happens now is, and of course, it's we've just two senators locally. Uh, I think Jed Nash and Ray Butler of Fine Gael, and both voted in favour of the legislation, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, which I think uh, it will come as a, a surprise uh, to people to know Ray Butler. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, I, I was hoping, you know, there was a lot of people who were against uh, the referendum and the logic of that is they should have exercised their freedom to legislate, which the people gave them mm. uh, to, to, to legislate. And also... Well, Ray Butler is welcome to come on the programme and defend his position because he's claimed uh, to be pro-life and would vote against this legislation, as I remember, but of course... Uh, I, I don't think he's going to talk to us. He hasn't spoken to us for a long time so, since some awkward qu- questions were asked of him. But anyway, uh, the vote yeah, has been lost. What I've been saying, Michael, is that you know, we didn't... You know, Obviously, I'm opposed to this legislation. I think it's unjust. I think mm. we had a good law that protected women and babies mm. before the Eighth Amendment was repealed. Okay, that's over now. We didn't get our way on that. And yeah. uh, But what our amendments have been about is about just humanising this. We haven't mm. been, you know proposing stuff that would make a nonsense. We, we've been trying to, to say, like, treat the baby's body respectfully, um, mm. uh, and I, I offer women that. ultrasound, yeah, yeah, not yeah, force yeah, them to look yeah, at it, yeah, all yeah. of that stuff. Yeah. You know, and I do understand that, and I mean, there's been arguments made on the other side that they're not babies, they're fetuses and so on, but yeah. be that as it may, uh, the argument has been lost. Uh, uh, it's going to be transposed into now, law now. now. Uh, uh, at some stage... A bright new day yeah. when, we can, when we can get back to a, a, better, a better care for unborn children. But what about the staff? What about the, the the medics who have to do this now? Uh, because I'm sure many of them are, are Catholics and they'll have been listening to Kevin Doran or Dermot Martin uh, uh, and uh, they've been told that as Catholics uh, they don't have to apply the law. Yeah, well, I mean, it's always been the case. I mean, go back to Nuremberg, you know, the big the, the reason it was possible to prosecute the leading Nazis was to say, you know, you had a duty to go against the law, which was an unjust law, you had a duty to follow your conscience. I think what Kevin Dorn mm. and others isn't trying to lay a burden on anybody, but saying the Catholics are free to follow their con- conscience and they shouldn't feel oppressed by uh, the unjust law of a state. But I'm always anxious to say it isn't just people of faith here. People have conscientious objection because they believe that this is a human being and their right to believe that. And there's also doctors who, in their best clinical judgment, say abortion isn't good for people. It causes a lot of abortion regret, as we know. And, of course, we know what happens to the child. So the question is, are those people to be protected? Simon Harris claims that his his law uh, protects conscientious objection, but in fact it doesn't. Mm. Well, his law is your law, it's my law, it's the law of the land, and that's how democracy works. That's true, but the law he has crafted basically says that that, that nothing in the the, the legislation shall not require a medical practitioner to participate. Okay, and I... what he leaves out is that he doesn't protect yeah. somebody from being sacked either by their organisation if they won't. And that's, the, that's why these are weasel words. And also the obligation to transfer to somebody who will do the deed uh, well, makes I, I, the I doctor mean, feel yeah. like a cog in the wheel. Uh, whatever about referring or whatever, I, I think the idea of uh, sacking people uh, in an unjustified manner can be challenged uh, regardless of what the reason is. Uh, and if that's the reason, well then, uh, obviously you have the right to a conscientious objection, so it can't be a justified reason. Uh, but uh, in terms of how all this pans out, um, uh, in terms of people's conscience, uh, do you think uh, that people are going to object on Catholic grounds? Do you think that the church is going to continue with that message? Do you think that they're well advised to do that? You've been an advisor to the church. You worked with the communications office in Dublin. You worked as a, a spokesperson for Cardinal Desmond Connell. Uh, do you think uh, that the church will be thanked for this? I don't know, but I, I'm very keen to say it's not just about the church. The church is really just going to hopefully, and not just the Catholic church, supported members who feel that they in conscience that they must protect all beings. But this isn't just about abortion. This is about not being required to do other things that mm. you believe are unjust. 
But I think it is important because we live in a country where a lot of people are are, are hostile uh, to faith and 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 angry with the church or not in the church, and, and everybody's entitled to their to their views and their values. It's important to remember that a lot of people who mightn't have much time for organised religion, who don't practice faith, would have an awful lot of sympathy with people who have a conscientious objection to the taking of innocent human life, and they might share that position themselves. So if we talk, but it's about a faith-based so position with Catholics, problem, isn't it? we probably miss out a lot of the other people who would be similarly uh, concerned. Okay, but it is a faith-based position with Catholics, isn't it? Well, I don't know. I mean, they, I mean, certainly I, I would argue that, that, that the Christian faith, yes, helps you to want to love your neighbour because you see everybody as a, as a sacred, you know, child of mm. God and so on. But there's an awful lot of atheists and agnostics who would say, hang on a minute, I believe life is sacred too. I'm not arguing people. that point. I, I, I suppose I'm wondering uh, uh, how it sounds to you if we talk about Our Lady of Lourdes abortion services. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly I think that, you know, putting on my personal hat there, mm. um, if, if, if really the religious orders involved in hospitals have effectively caved in, if they are going to hand over to this new cruel ethos that the state is, is mandating, then they, they really would be better off out. And, and certainly a residual mm. things like names... Uh, like that are associated with faith will cause very unhelpful confusion. Well, uh, that, I uh, suppose that's the reason I'm, I'm asking you because we've uh, we've a uh, we, bank abortion services, uh, but I mean that's a, it's a small thing. Mm, but well, we've a huge debate raging locally about the name of uh, the hospital in our in Drogheda, Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital, which will provide abortion services. So there will be Our Lady of Lourdes abortion services. The hospital wants to change the name. I imagine the nuns. Have asked for that change, or would at least favour that uh, change. Uh, uh, have you any inclination of how the medical missionaries of Mary's would feel about it being Our Lady Lord's abortion I have, services? I, I, I have no inside knowledge. I feel very, very sorry for the. You know, we've heard a lot about the failings of of of, of institutional care over the years, including where it was provided by religious orders mm. and congregations. I don't want to subtract from that, but I feel very, very sorry for the good people who gave their lives out of love of God and neighbour and did so much for people's education and health when the state was just missing. And uh, I feel also sorry that maybe they, through, through decline of age and loss of numbers and loss of energy, weren't able to protect the ethos of their institutions because I think that the bar of history it will be seen that their model of care was best because it left nobody behind, you know, uh, despite, the, despite the failings that can never be denied. Uh, something has been lost here when you have state-controlled maternal care, the idea that, you know, you can have uh, happy pictures of children being born uh, coming out of hospitals as part of their PR, while at the same time they're engaged in terming the life of other, terminating the life of other innocent children. Okay, I want to ask you to speak on behalf of the medical missionaries of Mary, but as a, a former spokesperson for the Archdiocese of, Diocese of Dublin, a, a former spokesperson for uh, Cardinal Desmond Connell, I'd ask you to Harbour a guess. How do you think the medical missionaries of Mary would feel about Our Lady of Lourdes abortion services? Oh, I would imagine they'd be horrified. I just don't know the detail of what's happening there. I'm not mm. across it, but I would imagine they would be horrified. Any medical missionary of Mary I've ever met is a, is a lovely, caring person and has done a huge amount of good with their lives. So if the state is in any way um, embarrassing or, or, or trying to you know, keep their good reputation linked in with this this appalling travesty of medicine. That's a further insult heaped upon injury. Uh, and do you think that the maternity hospitals, uh, such as uh, the Lords, will be put under 
undue pressure as a result of this. Uh, I don't mean in the immediate future as to which hospitals will be able to provide the service in January is unknown. Hollis Street is saying it will, the Coombe is saying it won't and I suppose the others have to uh, lay out their stall at this stage. But do you think that uh, the services will eventually move out of those centres into the level two hospitals? Yeah, I, 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 I think there's going to be huge institutional pressure because one of the things that we have seen here is with this legislation and the way it's being pushed, the intolerance of anything that suggests that there's anything wrong with abortion. So uh, the idea of, uh, for example, pain relief, which we proposed yesterday, completely rubbished. I mean, imagine rejecting an amendment uh, that would simply require that pain relief would off- be offered where a child is 20 weeks gone. Um, and, and, well, that would uh, accept that it's a child, yeah. Exactly, and given mm, and the not and a fetus, 20, uh, and that exactly would, twenty that weeks in the womb, like mm. a very well developed, and the evidence appears to be that between eighteen and twenty weeks is what they think now, and yet, you, but you see, it's more important from the point of view of the policy makers who want to push abortion here to be in denial about anything that suggests that the humanity of the, of the unborn in that situation. So when you have that level of institutional pressure, that's why the pressure comes on conscientious objectors, whether they're individuals or whether they're institutions who don't want to be involved. So we're in a will there be conscientious obstructors, as the Minister put it, and will there be objectors outside of uh, the institutions that provide these services? Well, I've never heard the term conscientious obstructor until abortion campaigners uh, started using it recently. But I presume what it means is somebody who would actively seek to prevent abortions from happening. Now, we're not there in this country right now. The might of the state is behind abortion. The minister will be in a position to spend huge amounts of taxpayers' money advertising this Mm. service and pretending that it's some type of good thing. Will you personally protest? When we're talking about... Well, I think I, I've been protesting for. No, would a long you personally stand now. outside uh, a family planning clinic or a hospital or a GP's office uh, uh, and protest against women going in to terminate pregnancies? That would all depend on, on the circumstances, because to be honest with you, when you're dealing with abortion and crisis pregnancy, there are two people to be cared for. There is a mother who is in a very vulnerable situation and needs the kind of help that the state is not offering. So, so you, and you need to have a baby. So, so you would, or you might. So would you, no, so, I, so would I, you oppose I, the legislation which will prevent it? I, I'm, I, I'm uncomfortable with the idea of kind of protest that could be seen as harassing a person. I wouldn't be in favour of that. But I am also uncomfortable about what I think the state might try to do in terms of preventing public, like one person's protest could be another person's silent witness. It could be another person offering help or saying there is an alternative which you may not have been told about. And if that saved a life, that would be something well worth doing. So that's something I would handle them wouldn't evade the question for a mi- in a million years, but it's, it's, it's a question I would handle with great delicacy because it turns on the issue of what ki- is, is the person who would wish to help here being respectful? Are they offering truthful information? Are they offering it in a way that respects the person's legal freedom to do what they are now in a position to do under the law? But at the same time, we have a government okay. that doesn't want to even offer women the chance of seeing an ultrasound. Ju- ju- just very finally, uh, do, 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 they, do, they might change their mind. Just very finally, do you expect this to be transposed into law by the 1st of January or do you expect a legal challenge? I don't see where the legal challenge is going to come from. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. The government ran, you know, just so determined to get this legislation through uh, the Shannon this week to the point where they really weren't allowing any consideration. There was just, just closed minds. There was no engagement with the ideas. 
when you compare that with other legislation which drags on, which is much less life and death, which is allowed to drag on through the Dáil and the Chanad and back in for three hours now and two hours next week, it just shows the rush they are under to bring uh, abortion in. And I made the point yesterday in the Shannad, you know, the minister had the gall to criticise the Coombe Hospital. I was kind of saying, as, as, as tragic as it is that, that children's lives will be endangered by this new law to, to, be, to be rushing uh, the hospitals and possibly put women in danger as well really shows that uh, the government has its priorities in all the wrong place. All right, I have to leave there. Thank you, though, for joining us as always. That's Independent Senator Ronan Mullen. The Minister for Housing, Old Murphy, is to bring forward new legislation which will make it a criminal offence for landlords uh, to raise rents uh, that contravene the law in rent pressure zones, for example, where the rent cannot be increased by more than 4%, and that could result in a fine of up to €30,000. We're joined by Margaret McCormick, Information Officer with uh, the IPOA, that's the Irish Property Owners Association, and you're opposed to this, Margaret. Perhaps you tell us why. I am indeed. Good morning. Good morning to you. The threat of criminalising landlords has already caused landlords, some landlords, to leave the market. They brought in rent control and that fundamentally disadvantaged landlords with low rents. But this isn't included in, or addressed in the bill at all. So the, the bill needs to address the landlords that have rents substantially below market rate, not criminalise them if they have a choice from the banks of increasing rents or breaching legislation. I mean, it's this or lose their properties. It is a really, really difficult situation for them. Right, but we hear of rents increasing uh, by 8, 10, 12, 14% in some areas over the course of uh, 12 months. Uh, why is uh, that the case? Is it that the rent was at a, a low level a year ago? In so, the legislation that came in uh, allows for a rent increase at 4% per annum, roughly, and you... you to comply with it, that there's um, a formula around it. But if somebody hasn't increased their rent for, um, say, six years, then it would be uh, 4% by six years. So that could be 24%. So the rent uh, reports that are coming out will not necessarily reflect the fact that there is compliance mm. for a period of time until you can actually see it come through the system. But you're not suggesting that that is the case. I mean, if you look at the increases in Dublin or in Louth or Meath, where you're talking in the region of uh, between 8 and 14%, let's say, uh, you're not suggesting that, generally speaking, people haven't increased the rent for six months, six years. And I, I'm... I'm there, there are a huge number of different people out there in the market. Some people increased their rent, some people didn't. Um, an awful lot of landlords, and particularly landlords that would have, would have been slightly older because they may have paid down their debt to the bank, when they had a good tenant, they kept the rents low. Because they're so not they're, relying on the rent to pay the mortgage. Well, that they, that they rewarded their tenants. They weren't relying on it, uh, as you said, to, to pay the mortgage because the mortgage is paid down. So they could keep their rents very low. Uh, they, once they took somebody in, they kept their rents low. So they've been mm. massively penalised by legislation. And then the problem with that is not only is the legisla- all of the legislation around the market is so complex that for them it's very difficult to even comply with it because to, to actually understand it is, is hugely difficult. And then to comply with it, it's even more onerous. So it's a really difficult situation. Uh, and for them, what, what's happening with them is because it is so complex and so difficult, they're looking at leaving the market. But if they sell their property, mm. 
another landlord cannot buy it but it, because it, it, there's a rent restriction on it. Is it. So, you know, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't cover the costs. Is it so complicated that they increase the rent by 10%? No, it's not, it's not even, I mean, we wouldn't condone anybody breaching the law. Mm. And we don't. But why didn't they don't. increase? Why didn't they increase it before the rent pressure zones were introduced? Everybody because, knew they were coming. Because a lot of people just w- wouldn't have. have um, I suppose most people wouldn't have realised that the government would bring in rent control again, because rent control economically damages markets. Well, people so did it, know it was coming. It, Everybody knew it was coming. If you read the newspaper, you knew it was coming. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think as well, for some people, they did not want to do that to their tenants. But then they did it afterwards. Uh, no, well, not, not necessarily. Um, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of people out there with rent substantially below market rent. But, mm. what, but what we're looking at anyway is, is on one side, they're going to tra- they're criminalising landlords. Well, but Margaret, is it that they're criminalising landlords or landlords are criminalising themselves by breaking the law? Well, it's as simple as that. We'll, cr- we'll criminalise a landlord that, that breaches the rent pressure zones um, and but at the same time we won't criminalise a tenant that hasn't paid their rent mm. now I mean there has to be a fair play on this and if you're, if you're bringing in legislation that does something like criminalise on one side they need to address the people who have fundamentally low market rent and would that satisfy you uh, I mean uh, this may be an opportunity when this legislation is uh, being drafted uh, that a clause can be put in to uh, allow for people who have accepted a lower rate than the market rate of rent over a period of years uh, to make uh, a, a appeal for a special exemption um, I, there should be there should be something in there to do with the very low rates. Would would that that satisfy you if there was? Well, well, the other thing I'd be looking at as well here is that we need landlords. Our problem now is we haven't got enough rental accommodation for the amount of people out there. So an investor Mm. that, that wants to invest looks at all the options and looking at an option where they say, well, if I get that wrong... I could be criminalised. Or will I go and buy, will I invest in commercial okay, property? Okay, but, but... Will I invest in something else? So th- there's options mm. here. We want them and need them. The, the, the Irish market desperately needs landlords to, to come into the market and to rent property and provide property. And what we're doing here is we're driving out our existing ones. Okay, but if a, a landlord is charging 600 a, a month and makes a case that the market rent uh, is around 1,200... Uh, and it's accepted, uh, and they're allowed to increase the rent to twelve hundred because uh, their tenant has moved out for whatever reason. Uh, would that satisfy you? Uh, and well, that- I, I, th- I think that would be a, a, a brilliant step, but I still, I still think going as far as I mean, th- th- there's lots of things they can do, but bringing in a criminal, uh, criminalised. Uh, threat of criminalisation is just not something that, that the market needs. But do you know, really but, 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 but do you know, do you, do you know the way it is, Margaret? It, it, it's a criminal offence to rob a bank. So I don't... Absolutely. So, 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 so I don't rob banks. If it's a criminal offence to increase the rent above the 4%, just don't increase the rent above the 4% and you've nothing to worry about. No, no it, it, what you're looking at here is that it, it should be proportionate, a penalty should be proportionate and appropriate. So if we get somebody that is breaching the rules, uh, then uh, a monetary fine is sufficient. And in any case, you will get that from a landlord where you, you may not be able to get it from a tenant. So we, we have the opposite side where mm. we have tenants overholding, not paying rent for long periods of time that would put a landlord in a situation where they can't pay their banks um, and they can lose a property. Um, but... There's, there's nothing there on that side. So the, the, we, we need 
it to be fair and equitable. We need all law to be balanced. And it, there, there needs to be something for landlords. What, what we need to be doing is incentivising landlords here, not actually pushing them out of the market. And they lost 7,000 tenancies uh, between 16 and 17. Mm. And I, I would imagine that between 17 and 18, when, when the figures come out, there'll be an awful lot less gone. And that's in spite of the big uh, companies coming into the country mm. and giving out big amounts of tenancies. And when you're looking at and dealing with, say, the rent index that comes out from um, DAFT or from the RTB, both of them deal with a three-month period and the tenancies that are uh, registered during that period or are entered into during that period. But you're not looking at the market as a whole. You are never looking at the, the 360-odd thousand tenancies out there and mm. looking at the average rents in them. Well, there are quarterly reports uh, that also yes. reflect on the 12 months uh, previous. Well, the, the, mm. no, the quarterly reports are only for the quarterly. Um, well, of course, but they but also... The, yeah, the CS... They the also do comparisons. Do, do, mm. do one. But when, when in DAFT, DAFT surveyed 4,000 existing tenants in 2017. And they... They said that uh, in the market generally, between 13 and 17, rents went up by 50%. But sitting tenants, rents had increased by 27%. So existing tenants always have a better deal. Mm-hmm. But we're basing all our law on, on the, uh, the small percentage of tenancies that are registered quarterly. All right, I have to leave it there, but thank you indeed uh, for making those arguments with us as always. Margaret McCormick, Information Officer with the IPOA, that's the Irish Property Owners Association. Let's go to Ashburn to speak with local Sinn Féin councillor Darren O'Rourke who's on the line. Good morning Darren and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, We'll talk about respite care in a a moment uh, but obviously a very serious incident locally in Gardaí investigating the death of a 65 year old man whose body was found at a house at Johnswood Drive in the town on Monday night as I understand it. What more do you know about this? Yeah, that's that's the case, uh, Michael. Tragically, um, Gardy and, and an ambulance were, were called to a house at John's would Drive early on Tuesday morning, and when they arrived, they found uh, a 65-year-old man um, dead at the scene. Um, um, and uh, they've, they've since uh, announced that they've they've taken a, a 33-year-old man in for questioning, arrested him under. Section four of the the Criminal Justice Act and, and detained them. Um, it's it's believed that the the victim may have been assaulted and and died after um, he was punched and, and fell down the stairs. Um, there is a a post mortem being conducted today at the city morgue, as, as I understand it. But really a a tragedy, Michael. Um, a, a very tragic incident. It seems to be. Um, more details, uh, I'm sure, will will come in the in, in the weeks, uh, days and weeks ahead. But you're um, hearing but that he fell down the stairs and that may have been what resulted in his demise. Uh, I understand from reports uh, that he had suffered a, a, a number of injuries uh, and I, I gather that there may have been an altercation. Of course, that's uh, the subject of investigation, but uh, you don't know at this stage uh, as to whether uh, the injuries were from the altercation or from the fall. Yeah, no, and and I guess that's that will come out as a, uh, uh, in in the process of the, the post mortem, which is being conducted today, and and will be the uh, the subject of of further uh, guard investigations. Um, 
I, I know from speaking to, to residents in the area that you know they're completely shocked and, and saddened by the by the incident and, and there's been a, a number of, of, of tragedies in, in, in Ashburn this year and and, uh, and this is more of it unfortunately so like really on, on behalf of myself and the whole community really just to extend our condolences to to the family of uh, friends of the of the man in question um, I know the Gardaí have uh, said that that they're requesting information that there uh, you know if, if, if anybody has any information in relation to to this incident uh, was in the area at the time uh, or uh, that they, they should contact the local Gardaí station or there's a there's a number there as well so just um, a very tragic incident that mm. seems to be the case Michael at a, a at this time of year um, you know there's a, a, at least one family um, waking up this morning uh, which you know uh, to, w- with all of that to deal with and, and uh, um, I don't think anyone would, anyone would wish it on anybody you know uh, and obviously a, a dreadful time for those left behind friends and family but neighbours uh, as well as you say because uh, this would be a residential area Absolutely, yeah. Big residential area in Ashburn there. Um, a lot going on. Uh, you know, a, mm. a thriving local community. Um, uh, you know, I've, I'm regularly in the area myself, um, including as late as as earlier this week, um, meeting with residents on, on various issues. Um, very good residents association, tightness, um, busy, you know, pride in their own area and, and really just shocked by this. And, and, you know, more details will come out mm. in, in, in the, the coming days and weeks. But it's, it, it seems like uh, just a, um, a freak, tragic accident. And, um, uh, you know, I, I don't mm-hmm. think anybody would, would wish such a, a scenario on, on, on anybody. Um, and and I, I gather there's family members who have yet to be informed, or, or is there more that can be said about the deceased at this stage? The, I, I can't really say a whole lot more, Michael, at, at this stage. Um, I, I spoke with local residents over the past 24 hours, and I've spoken with the, Gar- the Gardaí, in the area, so so um, that's the information that that uh, they are happy okay. to, to to go on with. So um, I'm, I'm sure more will become apparent. But all I will say in relation to this, you know, at the time of year, um, the circumstances of it, it really is a uh, seems to be a, a very tragic incident. And um, uh, my my condolences with the with the, with the family and friends of the of the the man involved. Indeed, and I'm sure that uh, everybody will echo that sentiment. Uh, let's uh, talk a, about respite care or the lack of it in some circumstances. Uh, you've been looking at uh, figures nationally uh, and indeed locally, the breakdown of those national figures, uh, and it seems as though this is a, a service that is being accessed by fewer people, whilst. On the other hand, more people are asking for the service. Perhaps uh, you'd start by telling us what respite care is. So, so respite care, Michael, and, and very many people will will be familiar with um, with carers and the work that carers do in, in our communities and for for family and, and for friends. Um, but respite, respite care uh, is provided um, through the through the HSE for children and adults with with disabilities. Um, it comes in a number of forms. It can be centre-based, it can be in the home, it can be home-to-home, um, it can be in the form of, of family support. And it's a facility there to to, um, to help prevent uh, out-of-home residential care, so to keep people in their homes um, and to pr- preserve the, the family support network. So it's essentially some relief, some respite um, for for family carers who are care- caring for either uh, elderly um 
family or or, or dependents or you know people with with disabilities of, of of any age. So it's essentially it's it's relief um, from from the duties of of uh, caring for 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 a loved one in most circumstances, and um, and it's it's usually on the basis of you know an overnight or a weekend or you know a, sh- a short mm. period in in any given. Uh, any given year or, 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 or period. And um, it seems to be very much the case based on, on information released by the HSE to my colleague Louise O'Reilly that the HSE themselves acknowledge that there is increasing demand for these services, but at the same time they have told us um, across the board uh, at a national level and in Louth and Mead that um uh, services, the the actual uh, sessions being provided to people in need have have reduced. So they've reduced by eight percent in the first half of this year compared to the first half of last year in County Mead, and they've re- reduced by three percent um, in the same period in in County Louth. And I think a, an important detail in the response that was provided is the the reasons that the HSE say that uh, is causing this, this, mm. this problem for them. So they recognise that there's an unmet need. They recognise that there's an increased demand. They recognise that there's, you know, a different type of presentation. So there's a, an increased complexity of the cases and also that we have an, an ageing population that have, have, have changing needs. Um, but one of the key things, and I think this is just uh, indicative of problems in the health service, they say that a major reason for for this shortfall is because um, what were respite beds in the past are now turned into long-term residential care. So essentially it's back to that same old story of the lack of capacity in the right place at the right time. So we have people who are, you know, if if you work the system back, Michael, you have people in acute beds who should be in long-term residential care. You have people in long-term residential care who should be in the community. Um, we don't have enough long, long-term residential care, so therefore the knock-on, and knock-on effect of that is that people who you know, should be there for a weekend or a couple of days during the week um, don't have access to those beds. So and the just, people who are looking after them otherwise don't get a, a break from that. Uh, we leave you. it there for the moment, though, Darren, and thank you indeed for joining us, as always. That's uh, Sinn Féin Councillor in Meath, Darren O'Rourke, who brings our programme to its conclusion. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. 
seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.